Austin Found is sponsored by The Store at the LBJ Presidential Library. Shop online for unique items related to all areas of the Johnson administration and Lady Bird's interests shipped right to your doorstep. Details at lbjstore.com. Literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back to the show. We appreciate you tuning in to Austin Found. I'm J.B. Hager. And I'm Michael Barnes. From the Austin American Statesman. And it's weird to talk about cemeteries. It is. It is. But somehow, (laughs) somehow, I I was reading what you put together for Indelible Austin, your, your, your book, Volume 2. I'm like... This is really interesting because, again, doing this podcast and, and in your books, I love knowing the names that I see yeah. all around me yeah, they in came Austin. From somewhere. <laughs> right. It's not just a random name like Burleson Road, right? Mm-hmm. And so what we're going to talk about is, is two of our oldest cemeteries. And is right. that confirmed? They're based essentially two of our oldest They're cemeteries? two of our oldest cemeteries. They're both in East Austin or in Eastern Travis County, actually, off of 969, FM 969. This is where the first settlers moved in in Travis County. They were part of what's called Austin's Little Colony. Now, Austin's main colony was between the Colorado and the Brazos River the richest area of the state for agriculture and in many ways at the time at least but he kept acquiring more grants and he got a, a who is he uh, i'm sorry Stephen f austin okay father of anglo texas <laughs> okay namesake for our city <laughs> and possibly gay um we'll make that another episode. that's another episode <laughs> we'll table that but he but i um, want to hear about that he did acquire the land on the north side of the colorado that includes most of austin the first groups of settlers, the Hornsby's, the Rogers, the Burlson's, the Tannehill's, all moved in from Bastrop along the road that is now FM 969. This is a thing we may have talked about before, but the road to Bastrop, and therefore the road from here to the coast, was on the north side of the river. And now it's a narrow farmed market road, but it was the road that the trail that the Indians took, it's the trail that the pioneers took, and it also was the main road east. We think of, oh, I'm going to Bastrop, we'll do 71 on the mm-hmm. south side of the mm-hmm. river. That's not the road to Bastrop, the original road to Bastrop on the north side. These two cemeteries we're going to talk about today on are on either side of that road. I was thrown off that two of our oldest cemeteries, which... It doesn't seem very far east now, today, on today's standards. But going back to the mid-late 1800s, out by Decker Lake, Mm -hmm. would have been very, very far east. It was, and it was mostly prairie, wooded prairie, and still is. A lot of it is still open. The first one that I went to with Karen Walker, and let me just take a second to explain who she is. She's a fantastic character who grew up in the Cedar Park, Leander area, And I don't remember how we met, but she's a member of DRT, 
the Daughters of the Republic of Texas. And they're one of these groups that is into preservation and into genealogy. And to get in, one of your ancestors had to come from the period, early period of, of Texas, Anglo-Texas history, meaning 1820s through the 1840s. You may not know the DRT, but you've probably seen headlines that relate to them because for a long time, they controlled the Alamo and they kept hmm. it uh, open. And also here in town, the French legation. So two very, very historic uh, locations, but they fought amongst each other a lot. Hmm. I think now, I don't think I can uh, blame it on the fact that a lot of the people who emigrated to Texas were fighters, but these women have been fighting about the Alamo for a long time. So recently, wow. the uh, the state of Texas took over both monuments and, and are working on them, and there's plenty of controversy still going on with that. But Karen said, come on out. I'll take you to these cemeteries. Can you put on long pants and long sleeves because there's going to be poison ivy and stuff like that. So the first one is Rogers Hill Burleson. So Rogers and Burleson families, definitely. Tannehills are there, too. You get to it in this weird way. It's behind the Center for Sustainable Design. That's not the right name. Which in itself is a place to go wander into mm -hmm. because it's these, these wonderful architects that uh, uh, decades ago have this little almost hippie commune back there with all these weird structures mm. where they're testing the sustainability of building materials. And they did that before almost anybody else and, in fact, convinced the city of Austin to come up with regulations for sustainable building long before any other large city. We were among the world's leaders in sustainable building early on. I'm getting way off subject. Behind <laughs> right. that center for sustainable building is the cemetery. I ride bikes a lot, and mm -hmm. I go east a lot more now than I do west because it's flatter mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> as I get that. older. A lot of the roads that these are off of are roads that I ride all the time. I'm sure I've ridden by the entrance to these cemeteries. I'm not known it because I ride Decker Decker Road. I ride Blue Bluff. Mm. You know, there's all these connections that that, that go out and around mm -hmm. Decker Lake. These are not obvious cemeteries. I mean, I've, right. you know, people think of the Texas State Cemetery right. and things right. like that. These are like going hiking in the woods, it sounds like. Unfortunately, there have been marker signs from the state marker signs on both cemeteries at one time or another, but they get stolen or maybe people hit them. Or I don't know. But huh. uh, ni neither of them were signed when, when I went out there. The Rogers Hill Burleson one has some rather large uh, monuments. It was very overgrown when I went. And, you know, that, that area, it's very rich land. It just keeps getting entangled with all kinds of... Nature keeps taking it back. And, of course, it's interesting. You can tell a lot about lies by reading the stones. For instance, the African Americans are buried in a different section. Uh, also... Family plots tell you who was related to each other and how they intermarried. And also, I always read the dates because you're always finding surprising things like somebody who lived for nine decades and then another set of people who died uh, young. And you're going, well, what was that? Was mm -hmm. that a, you know, was there an epidemic that year? Was there a tornado? Was there, did they go off to war? Anyway. But this cemetery is uh, uh, overlooks an incredible amount of, of Travers County, 
And then the other one, I think, is even more fascinating. And, and that's the other one Hornsby is Bend. Hornsby Bend. Yeah. Hornsby. You get to it through a gate that's unmarked, and you better be sure it's the right one because the one right next to it is a, a yard full of junkyard dogs, and you don't want to go through that gate. Oh. So you go through the gate, and you pass at the top of the hill a centennial marker of where the Hornsby cabin was. And then you go down that, and you're looking out over the bend in the Colorado River and these rich farmlands, and then you come to the cemetery, and it's gated, but you can easily get in. But it's divided, too. It's got fencing. There is the so-called Mexican cemetery, Mm -hmm. and then the African-Americans are outside of the main fence, you know, and their, their graveyard is not as well tended. But a lot of the people here are from the extended Hornsby family. Of course, and Reuben Hornsby was the, the founder of the little colony there. And he's there. He lived a long time. But the most famous person there is uh, Rogers Hornsby. Rogers Hornsby, the baseball player. The baseball which player. Which I didn't know about. Tell yes, us more about National this guy. National Hall of Fame baseball player. He, he, he had incredible a multi-decade career in baseball. 23 seasons, yeah, in fact. Yeah, To tell the truth, he was actually born in Winters near Abilene and grew up in Fort Worth, so we can't really claim him like we can Willie Wells. To my knowledge, is our only other uh, baseball Hall of Famer in town. His, his grave is there, and people leave these pristine baseballs on his grave. Like it's this is happening currently. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, these are clearly... So baseball fanatics know this story. They go, I've got to go find this. They go find it. Wow. And they they leave these little treasures on the shrine. It's fascinating. And they all looked, the ones that I saw, all looked like fresh. You know, like they'd just been laid there on the grave. So any anybody who's a true baseball purist probably knows this this story, especially in Austinite. Well, and and I hope they also know Willie Wells. Have we talked about Willie on no. the show? Oh, it's a fantastic story. His house is still standing in my neighborhood, a block from my house in Bolden. That was an African American freedom colony in the late nineteenth century, and he was in one of those board and batten cabin houses. Whether he was born in the house, I'm not sure, but he was born here in Austin, and he lived in that house for many years. He was in the Negro League back when, um, before the 1950s, when the the leagues were segregated, and he was incredible. He played off-season in Mexico and in Cuba. He was known as El Diablo, and he was a fantastic player. Yeah, he ended up in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Some wealthy person has purchased his house and fixed it up and preserved it. I assume somebody who knows something about baseball. To to be a museum. I don't know. Maybe. That's not how it's being used right now. In fact, that would make sense if you want to preserve it. Well, this person has enough money not to need to open a museum. Hmm. In fact, they had a little little uh, backyard picnic and guess who sang at their backyard picnic behind the Willie Wells house? Willie Nelson. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they have a little bit of money. Wow. Um, or a lot of weed. But they've, they've <laughs> stopped. So, no, they. what's fabulous is that several of those Borden Batten former Freedmen's homes are being preserved because a lot of them have been torn down uh, all over town mm-hmm. because they're really not always adaptable. And certainly with property taxes, it's like 
really you're going to have an 800 foot board and batten house on a piece of property that's worth almost a million dollars you know Right, right. So you have to be really into baseball or into preservation or into both and have. It's like a, it's like owning a, a, a nice piece of art to that yeah. if you're a baseball fan. Yeah. Right? Hmm. That's a good way of thinking about it. Austin Found is brought to you by the LBJ Presidential Library. More info at lbjlibrary.org. You know, I don't fully understand. Maybe you can shed some light. When you you throw these names around, Hornsby is a cemetery and Rogers Hill Burleson, it's how does that become a big cemetery from that family name? Is it a business <laughs> and people buy a plot there? It started with their family, maybe. No, both of these. Like, how does that work? Well, these were family plots out in the country, yeah. as most cemeteries were. Our first cemetery as a city was Oakwood. And it opened right after the city got started in 1839. But it was out of, outside the city limits. Mm-hmm. So the cemeteries always were. And usually on a high location like a hill for many reasons, in part because you don't want to put your buried loved ones down by the river where it floods mm-hmm. uh, and they become disinterred. Um, don't, I didn't want to plant that image. But, <laughs> but um, Oakwood Cemetery, which is in central East Austin, is a fantastic place, and well, I go there I as up. often as I can. I looked these up earlier because now everything you talk about, I want to know where it is. <laughs> and by the way, I've been—I realized I've been misspelling cemetery my whole life. <laughs> so from this, <laughs> there's no a in cemetery. There is no a. You're absolutely right. I think a lot. Okay, I feel better if you were getting it. Oh, wrong. No. so many things that I okay learned wrong. Oakwood's off MLK, just east of I-35. Right. Okay. Right. And so, it is... And that was considered outside of town at that time. It was that, outside at the that city. Time. But the it grid, was walkable. The original grid. You could, you could walk or ride your horse or your, take your carriage over there to pay your respects. Huh. First person uh, who was buried there was African-American. He was killed in, in an Indian attack. The, the cemetery was segregated. And there are two subsets. Jewish cemeteries there that were built in and, and maintained by uh, the, the, the main Jewish synagogue community, but they have an iron fences around them. You know, it doesn't have all the famous people like the Texas State Cemetery, which is a little bit to the south. The, it has a lot of really famous Austin families. You hmm. wander through there and you just see all those names. The names that you see on streets and oh, buildings everywhere? All up and Okay, down. I've never... I've only been on a cemetery for a funeral service. Mm. Should I do this? Is it? It just seems odd to do it for... I mean, you do it as a journalist, but just to wander through it, is that inappropriate? Oh, not at all. Not at all. No. These are like outdoor museums, Mm -hmm. and they're also like wonderful community gathering places. And while being respectful of main purpose of it, it's like a park as well. Hmm. And so I go whenever I'm in a road tripping around, I'll go to a cemetery because that's going to tell you a lot of the history. And I'd learned from uh, Indelible Austin as well that uh, it's a state law mm-hmm. that cemeteries are open to the public. They have to be accessible. They have to, to be the accessible. The, the property owner can designate the route to the uh, um, plots, 
but they must make it accessible. Okay. And in your description of it, one of these was well-maintained and one was not. Correct. Who maintains it? That's a really, really good question, and I can't answer that. It's, it's uh, like preservation volunteers, kind of? Well, definitely in the one that is overgrown, it has been volunteers. It's possible that some sort of money was set aside to hire people to maintain the Hornsby one. That does happen. Hmm. But I don't know. It's a great question. If you're looking for something to volunteer for, that's yeah. an interesting... If you're, if you're a history right. buff. It, right. And who are the Tannehills and how do they come into all of this? Tannehill got a land grant on the north side of the river. And he had created a little town there that was called Montopolis. And Montopolis later moved south of the river. And we know it as an area near the airport with a diverse population that was rural up until very, very recently mm-hmm. and now is facing gentrification. But um, Remarkable how much Montopolis comes up on this show. Oh, I know. It's, <laughs> uh, and, and we're moving to that area. The, the American statesman is moving. We're not going to be very far from that. The Met Center. The Met Center across a, a Ben White from Montopolis. Wow. And yeah. so, yeah, and that has a, a lot of history. We'll do another episode. On that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a, a, an entire book in the mid seventies about the about the Horsby family. Yes, did you, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you dug through that. I did. That's a very narrow topic, <laughs> right? <laughs> but you know, was I, it a vanity book? I mean, no, what, no, no, no. It was it was a serious book. And one of the problems with a lot of the books like this is that I use them as reference works. I'm not reading them as a story now. Uh, recently, I read Noah Smithwick's memoirs, and he's at the same time as the Hornsby's and the Tannehills and all that. And he was at Fort Colorado, which is right there. He was a ranger, and he was a very interesting man. He wrote a very good memoir. And it's one of the few ones from the middle of the 19th century that it's it's really a good read as well. Because you feel like you're getting a... a a feel of what a, a slice of life from that era, what it would have been like. Kind of, we all, you know, we, we all grew up watching Little House on the Prairie. Like that. You <laughs> That's know. not what it was like. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, that type of thing, reading it, is it like that? Do you get a feel for what daily oh, life was like? And plus, he was an interesting guy. He, was, he had a nuanced view of the world and he fought uh, the Indians, but he got to know the Comanches and learn their language. Hmm. He was part of, you know, the slave-owning world. I don't know if he owned slaves. He never talked about that, that I remember. But he was very much sensitive to interracial couples and respecting them. And, you know, he, he is an interesting man. He had a, a complicated way of dealing with the circumstances of the world around him. And one last thing that uh, came out of the Horsby family book uh, that came out in 1975, and you did a great job of pa- oh painting gosh. a picture of that, and that's the, f- <laughs> the Christmas morning firing of guns. Yes. They all lived within gunshot range of each other, so <laughs> they would come out, one would come out at dawn and fire a shotgun or a rifle in the air, 
you know, down across the valley, someone else would do it in the extended family and then someone else and then someone else and then someone else. And it became a tradition in the family. And then one year a guy came out and, you know, this, by this time, a lot of the family had scattered, moved into the city or moved elsewhere. Or died. In, in, right. Or died. Right. Came out and just, let me see if it works and shot off his gun and nobody answered. That is so sad. <laughs> <laughs> It's like you're the last, this great tradition. You're the last one, and you fire your gun, and nothing on Christmas yeah. morning. Yeah, that was sad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I hope you enjoyed that episode. We do love getting your mail. In fact, I'm going to read one. We have, and we've said we've been very clear. We're open to uh, comments, suggestions, and criticisms. And we got a criticism, and 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 well deserved. All right. Hey, Michael, great to hear your voice on the podcast. I just wanted to mention that it was a bit disappointing that Ascension Seton wasn't given credit for stepping up to the plate to build Dell Seton Medical Center. We had just done a right. recent episode about Brackenridge. Yeah. Uh, the hospital was totally paid for by Ascension and the amazing philanthropy of this community through our Seton Foundations and the leadership of the Michael and Susan Dell Foundation. I know time was limited, but the hospital was only referenced as the medical school hospital. Just wanted to ensure that people know the investment that Ascension Seton has made and continues to make in the health of this region. Thanks and stay well, my friend. That is Chris. Chris Atal. Great point. Yeah. And a part of the problem, not to put any blame on them, they keep changing their name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think they've been like six different things since I've been here, but definitely Ascension uh, Seton has made a huge investment in this community. And, and of course, the Dells, Michael and Susan Dells mm-hmm. Foundation, just billions that they've given away and a lot of it here in this community. They have a global reach in their philanthropy, but I can't couldn't list all the things right. that they've given money to here. It's right, just, right. They've been incredibly generous. And, you know, you could suggest in a quiet way they have taken over the roles that LBJ and Ladybird had in the sense of, you know, just teaching the community how to take care of yourself, you know, in hmm. terms of being charitable and being leaders. And they're not as public as, as the Johnsons, but they, they certainly – they put their money where their mouths are, and they've done a lot of good. So let's thank them. Chris, thanks for uh, calling us out on that. Yes. And, uh, but yeah, we appreciate it. You know, those, these are great points, and that's why we do suggest people writing to us, because we can correct these things and, and get more information out there on every episode. So if you would like to reach out to us about anything we discuss, suggestions, comments, and criticisms, send yeah. it to... M. Barnes, B-A-R-N-E-S, at statesman.com. Or J. Hager, H-A-G-E-R, at statesman.com. And not J.B. Hager. A lot of people make that mistake. <laughs> I know. It's this. It's the way the system is so here, which just J. Yeah, I do go by J.B., but that's, it's fine. Yeah, it's J. Hager. Do love hearing from you, and we appreciate it. And pick up your copies of Indelible Austin. These, this story was out of Volume 2. Of the three Indelible Austin books, you can order them from book people. They will ship them to you, or you can pick them up curbside from book people. 
they're at a lot of other places that are mostly closed. So Yeah, and I can tell you this. In, in the short attention span world we live in, mm-hmm. uh, you, you've divided these stories up to where they, they might be one to five pages of a read. You know, you can right. just jump into a quick story, move on. And going around being the uh, know-it-all around Austin to your friends and family is awesome. <laughs> Yeah, driver. You know what used to be here. I love doing it, and uh, it, it, it makes you a true Austin authority overnight. Pretty overnight, much, right? All right. Cool. All Thanks. Books. Thanks for tuning in to Austin Found. Thank you.